of man's first disobedience and the fruit of that forbidden tree whose mortal taste brought death into the world and all our woe with loss of Eden till one greater man restore us and regain the blissful seat. Sing, heavenly muse. Anyone know where that's from? Anyone? All right. Those are the opening lines of Paradise Lost by John Milton. And these are good words for the beginning of Lent. Set them now alongside these words we just heard from Genesis. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. People always say it was an apple the woman ate. Though nowhere in the Bible does it suggest that. The text only says fruit. Sometimes I like to imagine a pomegranate. More delicious, more complicated, more common to the Middle East, and inevitably staining your your fingers. When you've been eating a pomegranate, everybody knows it. The woman saw clearly that the tree was good for food and that it was indeed a delight to the eyes. It wasn't just any old tree. Its very leaves promised a grand adventure. And that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. I've always been curious about this phrase. The grammar feels kind of tortured, doesn't it? Who said the tree was to be desired to make one wise? The serpent did. Eve is like a teenager who discovers from her peers that, no, we don't wear that kind of clothing or listening to that, listen to that kind of music because that's how people know you're a loser. No, we wear this other kind of clothing and listen to a different kind of music because these things are to be desired to make one popular. But who says? Why does Eve make the serpent out to be an all-knowing authority, more trustworthy than herself and more trustworthy than God? Yet this human being is engaging with the serpent in the world's first ever theological debate. She makes her own observations, and they seem to match up with the serpent's words. The tree is calling to her, come and eat. There is so much to know, so much that God has not shared with you yet. But the serpent puts it differently. There is so much that God is keeping from you. The serpent sows mistrust. Well, the serpent must be right. Who wouldn't want to be like God? Who wouldn't want to know more? If God loves us, why would God hide things from us? There's no way Eve can have any concept of what the serpent is promising, save in her shiny new human imagination. And that imagination is God's gift to her. How could it be otherwise? The woman's free wondering about what might possibly come to be if she were to eat the fruit. This is a skill she has been created to use. There's nothing wrong with it. On the contrary, it is what makes her and the man special. It's what makes us special, different from all the other animals. We can imagine things we haven't experienced. 
We can desire things we wonder about. We can remember our past and predict the future. Over time, our memories get selective and skewed. Our future predictions are often wrong, but they're correct a surprising amount of the time. That's amazing. That's a gift from God. How did we get to be this way? How did we become the kind of creatures who can think about our thinking and wonder about our wondering? How did we get so darn creative? How is it that we can regret? That we can wish we didn't know now because we see we can never return to an innocent state? This world is a mess. Whose fault is that? It's easy to blame the serpent, but hang on. Why did God even create this serpent? Why was he allowed to be into the, in the garden in the first place? People always assume the serpent is Satan. The story doesn't tell us that. And the story is far too old for that to be the case. The idea of Satan developed very slowly in Jewish thought over many centuries. Much later, after the Babylonian exile, in the Persian and Greek periods, the tempter, the accuser will be seen as a member of God's heavenly court, allowed to be there, whose job is to call God's motives into question. Read the book of Job to discover Satan in this role. I do think we can see the serpent as a sort of proto-Satan. We can all observe the human tendency to be tempted. Well, who's doing the tempting? Surely not God. There must be someone else. Another force in the mix. Yet today's story gives us no clue as to why God would create such a force in the first place. Is the serpent really trying to mess up God's creation? God specifically refers to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. All the serpent has done is to say, well, what's so bad about that? I'm just asking a question. Nothing wrong with asking questions, right? On the contrary, God made us to do this. Was the serpent even a necessary character? Might the humans have asked such questions eventually anyway? In short, was eating the fruit inevitable? And did God already know this? Or did God truly step back and say... I wonder whether they'll obey me. This is a story of disobedience. There's no denying that. It's also a story of the end of ignorance and the beginning of self-awareness. Oh, wow, look at that. We're naked. Naked compared to what? There's never been any such thing as clothing in this story. Yet now, the humans are bare to the world. Can we have knowledge without regret? Can we have self-awareness without shame? God's response to the humans eating the fruit in the verses that follow this is done in the first person. I will curse the serpent. I will curse the ground. I will cause pain in childbirth. It sounds like punitive retaliation. But there has always been a minority interpretation in both Jewish and Christian tradition that sees this not as a story of God's angry punishment, but of the natural consequences of the world God has made. 
How did we get to be the way we are? We need a story to explain that and to explain our seemingly broken relationship with the one who created us in the beginning. Every day, we wander in the wilderness of our consequences. We think we understand how the world works. What is to be desired to make one a good person? Does the story of Eve and Adam tell us it's better not to ask too many questions? To try to keep our curiosity all boxed up? I don't think so. I think it merely explains that we chose not to do that. And there's no going back. I want to take a moment and offer a gift to someone. I wonder, would somebody like a gift? Anybody? Ah, come on up, come on up. I've got a gift for you. All right. I'm hiding it in my chasuble for a moment. I'm Josh. Hi, Josh. I'm Josh. (laughs) It's good to see you, Josh. It's been a long time. Come on up. I know, Josh. It's been a long time. All right. I've got a gift for you, Josh. Come close so the camera can see you. All right. Would you like some mixed nuts? I would love some mixed nuts. Here, pop that open, okay? (laughs) They don't make them like they used to, do they? (laughs) I haven't seen this guy in a really long time. All right, go have a seat, Josh. They, they really, I mean, this was the best I could find when I went. I went to Archie McPhee's thinking it would like give me something that would shoot out everywhere and open up a, a can of worms or a snake. I mean, it's, we got snake, but um, yeah. I guess the fruit had worms in it. A whole can of worms. A whole can of figurative worms that are much more entertaining than that. Have you ever opened up a can of worms? You know the expression, right? I've heard the same expression put this way. You can't get the toothpaste back into the tube. Or, that ship has sailed. Or, Pandora's box, anyone? My gosh, we find all sorts of ways to talk about the same phenomenon. Time moves only forward for us humans, never backward. Our decisions are indelible. We can only proceed from what is now real. Is it always bad to open a can of worms? Without it, there would be no sin. Sin means a perceived separation from God, accomplished by our self-serving actions and the shame they bring. Sin is what leads us to feel afraid of God. God who created us and loves us and doesn't want us to live in pain and sorrow and shame. But without eating the fruit... There would also be no self-knowledge, no adventure, perhaps even no joy. Only a blithe, forgetful contentedness. Like the lives of our pets who use their instincts to react to stimuli. No creativity, no clarity, just being. Could God want human beings to remain like that? Could God want us ever to return to such a state? Please, God, no. These are eternal mysteries well worth exploring. And since the first humans did indeed eat the fruit, we can't help but wonder. Innocence, 
is no longer to be desired. Ignorance is no longer bliss. Since we now know good from evil, what will we do next? We will always be tempted. But will there always be sin? Hello, Jesus. Welcome to this human life of creative expression and the option of disobedience. Here, we want to be free thinkers like Eve and Adam chose to become. Wait, Jesus, you say God wants us to be free thinkers too? To use our brains? But is that what the story says? How can we obey God and still think for ourselves? Oh, oh, you say we can think for ourselves and make our own decisions and still be in loving relationship with our Creator? Wow, I guess that was always an option. There were never only two possible endings to the story in the garden, to eat or not to eat. What if the woman had made a different choice? What if instead she had gone directly to God with Adam and the three of them had talked about the serpent's words together? But she didn't want that. She was capable of independent thought and wanted so badly to use it. She didn't realize that God wanted her to use it too. But God didn't want her to break the relationship. We never have to run and hide because God is not attacking us. We never have to be ashamed because God is not ashamed of us. We can rise above fear and shame because God has never stopped loving us. God has kept calling us home all this time. Not home into blissful ignorance, but home into a way of love far deeper than we could have had without tasting the fruit. We're all on a journey toward knowing God. Since we do think for ourselves and make our own decisions, this journey necessarily leads through knowing ourselves better first. But God isn't waiting around for us to fix ourselves or ascend to some higher plane of knowledge of our own accord. No. God has taken the first step toward us so that in knowing God, we can know ourselves as well. Of man's first disobedience, and the fruit of that forbidden tree, whose mortal taste brought death into the world and all our woe with loss of Eden, till one greater man restore us and regain the blissful seat. Sing, Heavenly Muse. <laughs>